Hello, hello, and welcome to This Should Work podcast session number 13. It's going to be a little bit of a different episode, kind of an interlude, and of course, it's a little bit late to um, a lot of things going on in the This Should Work world, as well as my own, and I hope to fill you all in on that in, oh, probably the next month or so as far as uh, the my own stuff, but as far as the This Should Work stuff, um, well, that's a little bit more interesting, uh, and it has a little something to do with why the podcast today is a little bit different. So, uh, This Should Work as, as a podcast and as a, a, a media thing um, has, has existed in a weird space in my mind, you know, for for probably about the, <laughs> since it started, really. Um, and we've been interviewing a lot of people uh, who are crafters and, and makers, and and those people are, um, you know, giving, giving us an insight into what it is about what they do that has some broader implications in the making space, in the educational space, um, what what's what's at the heart of of this maker, if you want to call it a culture or movement or something? What what's at the heart of it that that can can remain um, and and will will be here forever? What's what's its contribution basically, and what is uh, what you know what what's irrelevant or or what will get lost? And, and that's what this podcast will always be, is, is an educational exploration of, of making. But in addition to that, I've been getting a lot of feedback from people that they really enjoy it when we talk about not only the, the philosophy and, and the making, um, but the things, the tools, the materials that people use to, to do the things that they do. And, and really, I think that fits in line with a lot of the way that I think about making, which is, is that it's not about just the thought, the human thought and how we approach the world, but it's, it's also about the things that we use and how those things influence how we approach the world. Perfect example would be, um, you know, the old maxim, uh, if everything looks, uh, if, if, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, if you're a person and, and you pick up a hammer, uh, well, then everything begins to look like a nail, too. And what that says to me is that the tool itself, the thing that you use, influences um, how you think, how you think about the world around you, how, how you think about the things that you do, how you think about your yourself and, and other people. So the tool, not just the internal thought, influences the way that we think. And what that means is is that we should be talking a little bit more about the tools that we use, not just the the thought process behind the things that we do, um, because the things are intertwined. Uh, they're they're uh, implicated uh, together in in this uh, in this approach to to doing things, and and this is supported by maker centered learning and constructionism and all sorts of other things. But um, anyway, so what I wanted to do. Uh, on our podcast today is, is keep it a little bit short. Um, we've got a really cool interview coming up with somebody who I don't want to give away quite yet, but I'm very excited to talk to them. So um, what I wanted to do today was talk about 
Um, some tools that, uh, or really one tool, but different kinds of tools uh, of that same tool that people associate with maker stuff, maker movement. And some of you may have already guessed this by now, but uh, what I want to talk about is 3D printers. And specifically, I want to talk about my exposure to um, three different kinds of 3D printers and how I think um, each of them differ in their philosophy. Uh, each of them provide different advantages to the people who, who um, you know, aspire to own them. And hopefully what this will do is give you an idea of maybe if you're looking for something, if you're looking for a 3D printer, which one is it that you want to buy? Which one is it that supports your particular way of thinking? Okay, so the three printers that I want to talk about are the Prusa MK3, uh, the Lulzbot Mini 2, and the Dremel 3D45. And this is really based off of an email that um, that actually I composed uh, a day or two ago. Um, to uh, Nicholas Lovell, who uh, is, is from uh, an outlet called Games Brief, and I, I used to work with uh, Games Brief, and I still talk with Nicholas um, occasionally. He's an, an excellent author. He's got some great books out there. I'd encourage you to check out his stuff and, and check out his website, gamesbrief.com. But he reached out to me and asked, um, what are, you know, are there any 3D printers that you'd recommend? And, and so I, I went through these these three 3D printers, all of which I've I've um, in the past purchased in some way, shape, or form, and own, or or the the Idea Realization Lab at DePaul owns, and um, and uh, and that I think you know support different ways of thinking. So why don't we just jump right in and talk a little bit about um, printer number one, uh, the Prusa. Uh, so the Prusa is is, is really interesting to me and. Um, you know, I originally uh, looked towards purchasing it um, because, number one, it's an open source uh, printer, um, which means that you can download the design files for it um, and, and make it yourself if you wanted to. Um, and it also means that it's got a great community behind it because open source community, particularly in these areas of rapid changing technology like 3D printers, um, are much bigger than... You know, these companies that are just trying to keep up with this fast changing, changing technology, you know, open source, you've got thousands and thousands of people at your disposal helping you. And at any given company, you, you don't have that much. So so number one, I picked it because it was open source. Um, but number two, we uh, ended up buying four Prusas. Uh, they're they're uh, MK2s, actually, at, at the Idea Realization Lab. Um, but the MK3 has some really nice upgraded features that I might talk about here in a second. Um, we bought them because um, they were kits. You could buy them as kits. And that's really um, uh, important to me because uh, if you're going to learn how something works, it's not just enough to be a user of it. You you have to, in some way, really engage with the system. And the, the Prusa, the kits... You know, they come with a nice manual, so there's a lot of step-by-step -step that you can follow through. Very thick manual. It's almost three-quarters of an inch thick, I'd guess. And and so it walks you through this process step-by-step. -step. But, but even though there's a manual, you still 
learn a lot in the process of you know putting the the body together the frame and the stepper motors and um you know the the belts and the extruder and everything else right and and so um because of its open source nature and because of its um willingness to give you the option to build it and and also because <laughs> the kit especially is a, is a pretty inexpensive kit it runs about somewhere between 600 to 800, depending on if you're getting MK2 or three. Um, it's, it's a pretty expensive, inexpensive kit too. So it's a nice, well-rated 3D printer that gives you the ability to build it yourself. It's open source. It's got all of the good stuff that comes along with that open source community. And what I was able to do with this printer then is give one of them to four of my uh, employees at, at the Idea Realization Lab and have them build it. And so now we have four people at the space who not only can operate a 3D printer, but understand how it works and can fix it. That's the cool part. Uh, the printer, of course, can use all sorts of different types of filament, ABS, PLA, HIPS. In fact, I think all of the printers that I'm reviewing today um, can, can do that, um, but, but it's important to note anyways. It's got pretty decent bed leveling features, but you have to tinker with them a little bit uh, compared to at least um, the Lulzbot and the Dremel. Um, but I think what I like about it, it has to do with the way that it makes you th think as a maker about 3D printers, which is not is, is that they're not just a commodity item. They're not just a, a thing that you buy and you put on your shelf and you occasionally print doodads that you download online, but they're an actual complex system that you have to uh, engage with and, and understand how it works. Um, because I don't think we're at a point right now with this technology where it is a commodity item. And so the best people out there don't just buy these things, they understand how they work. All right, so um, great printer, uh, you know, as all the three that I'm talking about today are but those are its its advantages so why don't we move on to the lulzbot the lulzbot mini 2 um and and i own or, or not i right uh so we originally got one of these at space lab the uh the nonprofit makerspace um that i'm a part of down here in the south suburbs oh we got one a, a regular lulzbot mini not a two three years ago four years, some amount of years ago. Um, and, and then we went ahead and bought some Lulzbot minis when we opened up the idea realization lab as well. Um, they've since come out with a version two of this, which has an LCD screen and some other enhanced features. Um, it's a really nice printer. Uh, I, I actually, um, you know, I've, I've talked with somebody and know somebody who used to work at Aleph Objects, which makes them um, everything I understand about the company is that it's a great company and they too, just like Prusa are, are, are dedicated to, um, you know, the open source model, the open source model, um, meaning, you know, you can download the files and, and make it yourself if you, if you so choose to do so. Uh, and the Lulzbot's part of the RepRap community, which, you know, it's, it's stated mission is essentially that any RepRap printer, um, should be able, it should be open source number one and, and should be able to reproduce itself in part. 
So if you look at on a lot of RepRap printers, a lot of Lulzbot printers, even a lot of Prusa printers, a lot of the parts on them are 3D printed, which means if a part breaks, as long as you got another one uh, sitting next to it, um, you can 3D print replacement parts. So um, why would somebody get the Lulzbot uh, in any way? Uh, you know, the Lulzbot is, um, unlike the Prusa, which like I said, is around the six to $800 mark and the Lulzbot's a little bit more expensive, and I, you know I'm not looking at their website. Although, why don't I pull it up as we talk here? Um, I think it's around fifteen hundred to two thousand. Yeah, it's fifteen hundred dollars right now. The the mini version one is at about a thousand. So the Lulzbot mini um, is a little bit more expensive than the Prusa, uh, but um, it's different too, and and people may want to spend that extra money for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, unlike uh, the Prusa, uh, the Lulzbot Mini 2 has an LCD screen. And what that means is you can monitor things like bed temperature and uh, hot end temperature um, directly from uh, the machine without actually having to um, hop on to, uh, you know, you plug a computer into the printer to check that information and so the printer um, more or less operates independently from a computer uh, the prusa um, well the prusa does as well you can plug a an sd card into it but but you can't monitor um, that printer without having some kind of computing platform plugged in so the lcd screen on the lulzbot mini 2 gives you um, that little bit of extra information the other thing i really like about it um, in contrast with the prusa is uh, it's bed leveling. And I, I just, I it, perhaps my own opinion, but I think the bed leveling on the um, on the Lulzbot Mini and the Lulzbot Mini 2 is, is superior. And, and they level differently, right? The, the Prusa and the, and the Mini um, use different um, methods to, to level themselves. And, and quite honestly, at the Idea Realization Lab at DePaul, um, you know, students who use the Lulzbot tend to have far fewer problems with bed leveling um, than they do uh, with the Prusa. So the prints end up better nine times out of 10 um, because you need to know less about the 3D printers. Like I said before, the Prusa is something you need to know a little bit more about, but it's a really powerful machine if you know a little bit more about 3D printers. Lulzbot Mini, you need to know a little bit less. It's a little bit more expensive as a result, um, but it still has the advantage of being open source. It still has the advantage of, of you know, you being able to replace parts and it's asking you to understand it. And so the tool um, in, in many ways is similar, but in some subtle ways that make it a little bit easier to use as far as the Lulzbot Mini 2 is concerned, uh, makes it different. So both of these great machines for tinkerers, um, great machines for people who want to uh, be a part of the open source community. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend them both. I love them both for different reasons. And, and hopefully I've outlined some of those here. So that kind of brings me to the, the final printer that I wanted to talk about. And then I want to talk a little bit about where this should work is, is headed and, um, uh, and, and a couple other things as well. But uh, before we get into that, the, the, the final printer, which is the, the Dremel 3D45. And so um, about now I'm, I'm trying to, again, bad at dates. Life is busy. Uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, Space Lab 
received a Dremel 3D40. And the Dremel 3D40 um, is and, and was um, a, a 3D printer by Dremel Brand, which is owned by Bosch. Huge, huge global company. Makes lots of good tools. Um, and the 3D40 was, was I think, maybe their second uh, attempt, second version of 3D printers. Uh, 3D40 only used, oh goodness, and I'm pulling this out of the depths of my memory here. I think it was PLA that it only used. It wasn't ABS. I think it was PLA. Uh, proprietary filament, you had to buy it from them. And, and the, the interface to use the 3D printer um, is and, and was a, a web interface. Whereas with the other two that we've talked about, the Lozwa and the Prusa, um, I mean, you can build a web interface like Octoprint for them. Uh, but you can also, you know, just use hard software, plug your computer in and, and directly connect to the printer using something like, you know, Cura, Ultimaker, Cura, whatever. Okay, so so the Dremel 3D40, um, PLA only, so it only used one kind of filament, web interface, 3D45, uh, which is their next and newest iteration, allows you to use multiple kinds of filament, still proprietary, still with the web interface to connect to it, but what that gives you is the plug and play printer that I, you know, I don't think we, we were, we're at the point where a plug and play printer is possible yet, but they're getting there. And, and, you know, I couldn't estimate how many years off they are, but it's, it's, you know, it's within well, 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 well within my lifetime, you know, we're talking less years than I can fit on one or both have my hands. So I, so I own the 3D40. The 3D45s are the newest iteration. Um, you can use any filament you want, um, but it's not an open source printer, which means you can't fix it if you want to fix it. Uh, well, you can, but you, you know the, the instructions, uh, the template right for the printer isn't online and easy to find. Um, so so it's, a little, it's a little closed in that regard, uh, but it's a good printer. And, and this is something that I would recommend for people who maybe want to like dip their toe into maker spaces, dip, you know, whether you're a school or some other kind of educational institution and you don't want to um, do all the support in-house, but maybe you want some support from some bigger company or um, maybe you, you want something that's really user-friendly to use. Uh, I, I, I personally, personal opinion, I like the ability to tinker with these things. I like giving my students the ability to tinker with these things. I think that's where the, the opportunity is, where the job opportunities and the knowledge opportunities are. Um, so I think that that's important. Um, and, and I really like these things. So, so, so um, if you're looking just to buy something that's a slick piece, easy to use, um, and and does a great job printing great quality print um, all these printers have great quality i wouldn't be recommending any of them if they were poor quality things uh you know i would pick the dremel if i'm if I'm part of an institution i want to print and go um you know i would i would buy it but if if i'm an institution that wants to teach people right the under i want them to understand how these things work i wouldn't so Actually, if you look, Prusa, Lulzbot Mini 2, Dremel 3D45, I'd almost view this as a scale, a scale from e, um, uh, uh, 
you know, the Prusa is very easy to use. But if 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 I were to compare it against the Dremel, I'd say probably less. And 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 compared against the Lulzbot Mini, uh, you know, the Prusa is also less easy to use. And so this whole scale probably goes from Prusa to to Dremel as far as difficulty to ease of use. But also it goes from what is the the mentality behind this as a, a maker and a tinkerer. And I would say that the it, you know it lessens as we go from Prusa to Dremel. I think maker and tinkerer, you know, was really represented well in Prusa. Um, is is represented quite well in the lulz, but but not as much, and and then not not as much at all in the Dremel. And so you know you, you get these trade offs, and it's all about how you want to use the tool to affect your perception of the world around you and things around you. Um, what do you want to, how, how do you want the machine to alter your mind, alter your way of thinking? And, and I hope that by laying this out, um, that, uh, that, you know, this, this, this helps you think about how machines affects the way you think about things and also, um, maybe about which one you want to get. Okay. And this really leads into my my final point that I want to talk about, which is where is this should work heading? And I can promise lots more interviews like the ones we've done in the past. Lots more. Uh, I have I've I've got some in the archives already that I'm ready to post. Um, I'm waiting just to get the okay on a couple of these things, but I am really very happy and proud of you know the recordings that we've done and 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 the things that we've learned and. It's actually been recommended, um, oh, a couple times, a handful of times by a couple different people uh, to do a master cut of these last interviews to, to, to explore the commonalities um, that are emerging from them. And, and hopefully, if you've been listening for all these episodes, you're noticing some of these things as well. Um, but where are we headed? So in addition to all of these podcast interviews, one of the things I get asked is, what kind of tools should we be using? And a lot of that, again, goes to how do you want your students to think? How do you want to think um, about making? How do you want these machines to alter your way of thinking about the world? And so um, what we've been doing, and, and probably not so quietly because I'm a we'll do it live kind of person, is building out a recommendation um, website for tools uh, at shouldworkmedia.com. And what this website is is being built out into is what tool, you know, if you're looking, if you're in educational space, um, what's the best tool for, for you? And how would you use that tool and integrate it into your curriculum? What projects would you make with that tool that your students could use? Um, what what are we seeing people doing with these things? So it's kind of like a a um, if if you're familiar with the wire cutter from New York Times, it's kind of like the wire cutter, but for educational maker spaces. And we're building out a recommendation, um, not a recommendation system, but a recommendation website for um, people who are looking to buy maker centered tools for their educational maker spaces, or even if you're just a maker space in general, and. And what I hope this does is is this spurs um, some thoughtful uh, leadership about how we go about um, furnishing these spaces and also how we can do this in a manner that aligns with curriculum 
and is also very important here, safe. Because one of the number one things I see in a lot of makerspaces um, that are getting built in educational spaces today is that the space gets built without any buy-in or stakeholders in the educational institution and the curriculum does, does not get integrated into it and then the spaces don't get used because it, they don't support learning. Or I see this, a lot of spaces buying tools that they don't know how to use and they become unsafe, right? Laser cutters without filters, chemicals open um, that are giving making people sick. So what I want to talk about as well on this website as we continue to recommend tools is what are the right tools to buy and how do you support those tools both through curriculum and safety to integrate them sensibly and sanely into your educational institution. So stay tuned, lots more on that. Thanks for listening to this, albeit uh, <laughs> short, but hopefully informative episode of This Should Work. And another one will be coming out this Thursday, November 13, 14, 15th. Wow. So soon. So stay tuned, subscribe, like. Um, what really helps us if you get on a website like iTunes on their on their platform, give us a rating, comment on it. Um, all that stuff helps us as well as SoundCloud. Uh, hop on there to our website, our page and, and give us a, a rating and some comments. Uh, we love to hear your feedback and it really helps us share this more with the broader universe. Um, and 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 with with the people who need to hear this stuff so thanks for listening i hope this helped and as always be good bye bye